Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. Today's episode features Marissa Woodall, someone I met at the last GMTA conference. We've been emailing back and forth about doing an interview for the podcast for some time now, and she's been incredibly busy, so I'm glad we finally managed to make our schedules align and to make this conversation possible. Hello, Marissa. Hi, Bebe. It's so great to see you. It's great to see you. Let's get started with just an introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I am a native of Atlanta. I live in Cherokee County now. We've been here for about 28 years. We have a small farm here of three acres, but my growing up years were in DeKalb County in Atlanta and had my instruction in piano there a lot. Went to Shorter and to Mercer Universities and uh, and been teaching for 42 years. Tell me a little more about your relationship with music. Now, I think you are a pianist. Is that what you do? Yes, I'm a a pianist and a piano teacher. Also was raised in a very singing home. And so I do sing and conduct a little bit and those types of things. Great. So you started touching on this just now, but what was your family's relationship with music? My father was a singer, uh, a radio announcer, and on TV. So I was raised very much in a performer's home. He was very creative, a very creative man, uh, and encouraged my musical abilities. Also taught me to play by ear when I was young, taught me to sing and to sing harmony when I was very small. We would be in the car together, and uh, he would teach me a melody and then teach me the harmony afterwards. And then we would sing together so much that I got in trouble in my church choir for singing harmony too much. (laughs) So uh, I was very blessed to have a father like that. Wow, that's incredible. Did you have siblings? Yes, I have two sisters, two older sisters. Okay, so did you sing as a family and everyone took a different line in, in the harmony? We did do that sometimes. My sisters are older than I, and so they one of them was already moved on and married at that time. But yes, we did do that some. Then my dad would sing at different churches, and so I got where I played for him. He taught me, to, like I said, to play by ear, play by chords. And so that's where some of my chord work came from was the initial years with my dad. Now, was he your primary teacher or were there other teachers outside of him? I had a traditional piano teacher. So this was my separate life. (laughs) So I seem to have frequently have had two lives in music, my traditional trained life and then my uh, other part of my life of music, things that we did by ear or different styles or whatever. Yeah, that's great. Fascinating. Let's talk about teaching. How do you approach teaching? What is your teaching philosophy? Well, after this many years of teaching, I have come to the point of seeing teaching as a larger holistic type of endeavor and occupation. I approach it more as a discipline, both of the mind and of an expression of soul. And so I try to encourage students that are more analytically, more analytically minded to go the other way and be also very expressive. 
and those who are very expressive and naturally creative to enjoy the beauty of structure, of form, of patterns, of the wonderful part of math that we also have in music. That some of my students, when they find out there's math and music, oh no, I'm like, no, it's awesome. So I try to do both streams at the same time, but I don't know, I always do it successfully, but that is my goal. Yeah, so what does a typical lesson look like for you when you're holding a lesson with, let's say a nine-year-old and you're trying to train up both aspects in, in this child? Well, if it's one that I've started myself, then I already know what direction that child is leaning toward. And so I typically try to start with what they're strong in to get to build their confidence. And then we'll tiptoe into those areas in which they're not as confident, maybe make a game of it, make a joke about it, make a image, something to soften that up. Uh, and then I also do the reverse. If the child is already kind of creative and making up things, then I'll tiptoe into the math part to try to help them to be comfortable in that area. Yeah, I wondered from your background with playing by ear and playing chords from your father and then having a traditional teacher. Do you do some of that with your students? Do you have them play by ear? That's a great question. And surprisingly, no. <laughs> I don't do it as much as you would think, but the reason for that is that I find the ones that already have that tendency are already very strong in it. They don't really need a lot of instruction. They're already going that direction. I might guide them. They might bring an idea in occasionally, but I don't structure that for them. That's just kind of part of what we do a little bit on the side. I am learning as I'm getting older to, to allow more space for that in the lessons, especially for the older students. As they become juniors and seniors, maybe I haven't allowed enough time for that. And so I'm doing that in the lesson saying, okay, what would you like Ms. Woodall to cover that I have not covered in those areas? So we're working on a little bit of lead sheets, a little bit of jazz, a little bit of those types of things. Uh, although I teach jazz from reading music, I don't teach it from the chords as much unless they specifically ask. Can we talk a little bit about teaching lychee and jazz? Because I find that that's probably rather unusual. A lot of us who are more traditionally minded just kind of stick with our Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms and don't really wander into that. How do you approach that? How do you even get a student started? Let's say a student shows some interest in playing by ear, playing chords, playing lychee. What's the first step? Well, let me give a little bit more background before I answer that. Teaching chords is part of my traditional mm -hmm. teaching. So when I get to the point of lead sheets and the others, we're not starting from scratch. They already know all their major, minor, diminished, augmented. That's all, that, that foundation's already there. So that's the structure I've created over the years is that theory is such an important and base line of my teaching that when I want to go off on a tangent, so to speak, the foundation's already there. So that's my preface to saying, I'll take a lead sheet and then show them the notation for major, minor, those types of things. I teach them to first play the right hand as written, then the left hand with root position chords. Then the next thing is to play the left hand in inversions, close position inversions, then combine that with the melody. 
then if they can go on from there, then we leave off the melody and begin to improvise between the two hands. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like I need to take some lessons with you. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> what are some of your goals for your students and for yourself? Well, for my students, I just want them to be the best that they can be of themselves, not in comparison to a friend or a sibling or even their own parents' desires for them. That's a challenge to find because frequently our relationship with music is more complicated with our relationships with our families. For me, music was my only option in life because it was the only area I was gifted. <laughs> and so uh, for myself, for my own goals, I have tried to implement something that I learned from our GMTA conference, our online conference in 2020. I think it was Kevin Chance, if I'm saying that correctly. He was very good, and I really enjoyed that online conference. And he does a three-year plan for his student, all of his students. And I found that to be fascinating and challenging. And so I've been on that endeavor since then. And I have not accomplished it all yet, but I am doing much better in that area, trying to create a three-year plan. Yeah, I actually, now that you say that, I kind of remember having this conversation with you at our last conference, which was in person. We had yes. breakfast together and we were chatting about the three-year plan. So you're about mm, a year and a half, two years into this plan. Are you on track with where you had hoped to be? Well, no, I am still a bit behind. I am not getting to year three with all of my students, but I am more prepared and thinking further ahead for years one and two. So like I said, it's still a goal for me. I haven't accomplished it yet, but uh, I'm working on it. Yeah. So these, these plans consist of like pieces that you would like students to study or be able to play, maybe technique, maybe some theory. Is that what you're thinking about? Yes, all of that. And that is the challenge is they're doing multiple events, multiple pieces. I have a real strong theory program, of course, technique. And to keep all of that going for three, I have not gotten to three years yet, but I will say it, I think I have improved in the last year or two because I'm at least trying to get to year two. Yeah. And some of my students are learning pieces faster than I expected. And so I'm ending up using those pieces quicker than I expected, which is a wonderful problem. Hmm. Hmm. Do your students know about the three-year plan that you have scheduled? No. Plan? Okay. No. <laughs> I keep a folder for each student. And so in that folder is a collection of all of the pieces they've played with me. And then on the back, I've started the three-year plan. So as I'm preparing and, or maybe there's a song that they didn't like or didn't work out that I always thought was awesome. And then I'm like, oh, this is a bomb. So I have to start all over, go back to the plan and redo the piece. So that's, that's how that works. For I me. see. All right. Well, tell me about some of the biggest teaching challenges you have faced and how you overcame them. I think for all of us, COVID has been a big challenge. And I think for me over decades, I think it's probably been the greatest challenge that I have experienced. I did learn to teach online and did teach from Skype was the format that I used for two to three months 
during 2020. I take June off every year. So that gave me a month to reconsider where I was going. And so my husband, who is also a musician and records his own music, and we have done some work together over the years. We have a big studio downstairs as well as my teaching studio upstairs. And he said, why don't you take the big room down there with the grand and let's use it for your studio. That way you can social distance. You have a separate entrance, set up a hand-washing station. So that's what we did. And I don't think I could have done it without his help. We had to install air condition, uh, multiple things in order to make that work. But that's how I started teaching back in person and used a keyboard as my second piano downstairs so that I could do duets from a distance. And uh, it's really ended up being great. The kids love it. And so now I'm not going back upstairs. <laughs> so are you still teaching some lessons online or are you completely back in person now? Uh, I'm completely back in person, except for I use online for if a child is sick. I have students that do drive to me from a, a bit of a distance. And so if there's a car problem or, you know, whatever, those types of problems, I am using it. And so I'm really glad I learned to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have passions and hobbies outside of music and teaching? Well, my little farm is definitely a, a passion and a hobby. I had horses for many years and rode horses, took lessons, dressage lessons. And I think I just quit that about 10 years ago. It was also a big part of my teaching. I learned how it felt to be on the other end of learning something in which you're not naturally gifted at. And I had some great instruction in writing and I saw some great teachers. So that helped me to rethink teaching from a different viewpoint. Now I have donkeys and the donkeys teach me. <laughs> what do the donkeys teach you? Uh, the donkeys teach me to slow down in life and to listen to them, mm. which is two things in which I need to do on a regular basis with my students is mm. to slow down and making sure I'm listening to them. Sounds like we all need a few donkeys in our life then. Yes. Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of this organization meant to you? Well, I heard about GMTA through my piano teacher, Lois Finley. I graduated from Mercer under her watchful eye and great teaching. And she encouraged me to join the group there in Decatur where I was living. And I did and got involved. I think I was still in college at that time, but uh, right after for sure. And it has been a really big part of my life. And as I thought about preparing for this interview, I realized that almost all of my teachers were either GMTA teachers of the year or presidents or very important figures in GMTA and makes me so grateful for the wonderful influence that I've been able to receive from the, all of them. Yeah, I hope this isn't asking too much, but how long have you been part of GMTA? Do you know? Yes, it's been 42 years. Just wow, great. Thank you for being a faithful member of our organization then. What aspect of your life and career as a musician has surprised you? How does it measure up to the life you envisioned for yourself as a young musician? I have really been, over the years, a, felt like a jack of all trades and a master of none. 
because of my background, as I mentioned with my father, my husband is also a fine musician, plays multiple instruments. We have done lots of wonderful things over the years and played parties and church services and even ended up having a business putting music with horse rides for almost 20 years. So I had that other part of my life, had teaching along with a company or a church job or doing freestyles. So I always felt like a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that really as a teacher, I wasn't as proficient as I wanted to be. But as I've gotten older, I realized that that is an advantage in teaching. What I thought was a disadvantage, I'm now learning to use as a help because of doing so many different things, I can find an area in which a child is interested. Oh, you like hymns. Great. Let's do some hymns. Oh, you want to play by ear? Let's do this. Let's improvise on this. Let's go with um, whatever that child is interested in. I still keep a standard program, but then I go off a little bit on these little extra avenues and I hope that that keeps their interest. So I don't think we can end this conversation without me asking you briefly mentioned music with horse rides. What is that? Dressage has another part called musical freestyles, like ice skating freestyles, where you have required moves and then moves that are extra. And so one of my instructors in dressage was the one that got me into doing this. And uh, she asked me to pick some music to go with my old horse. And I did. And she said, that is perfect, but I couldn't ride it. I couldn't, I couldn't keep the beat myself. And so I, I thought I did it wrong. She said, get off the horse. And she never would ride my horses. And she got on and she said, you picked music that was exactly to match her. And so that's how it started years and years ago. And we did this business off and on for over 20 years. And had a a lot of good success, some regional and national winners, and it was a second business for us for many years. So you're picking, um, how, what factors do you consider when you pick the music? You must consider the horse, but you probably also have to consider the rider also? Correct. And the tempo of the horse, you find music that's within a certain range to match that horse. Also the style, of course, you can't have huge music for a little tiny pony and that kind of thing. It has to, the genre kind of needs to match the, the horse also, but then you also want to choose something that the rider likes. So this was also how I've kind of learned to listen to students more was I had to listen to my clients was what was the style of music that they loved. And it's really the same thing in good teaching. We have to find uh, that student loves super fast pieces, then we've got to find something that they love or they have to have romantic, you know, uh, gorgeous melodies, uh, movie themes that we've got to find something that meets that. Freestyles was very similar for that for me. Yeah, so this is fascinating. Can you pick pieces that had a cello rondo and rubato and ritardando in it? No, that was the problem. A lot of the great classics that I wanted to use, the beat was not as consistent. And so we couldn't use them. So my husband plays, as I mentioned, and so he would do some rides custom where he would take the arrangement of the song and create a drum track. And then we would play the instruments on top to match the horse. Wow. Fascinating. That seems like just a completely different world. I've not even considered that such a world exists. 
It was, we, we went for, like I said, about almost 20 years and we closed the business right before COVID just because of some personal challenges. It was 2019, I think when we quit, but we had, we do not regret it. It was a wonderful experience and very rewarding musically for me. I really enjoyed the creativity of the choreography. I had to learn to do a little of that also. Wow. Great. Well, Marissa, that concludes our conversation. Thank you so, so much for sharing your life with us, sharing your insights. And again, thank you so much for your faithfulness to GMTA, for being a longtime member of our organization. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation. It took me to places that I, I did not expect when we started this conversation. So thank you for letting me chase those rabbit trails. I wish you Happy teaching and happy students.